Hi, and welcome to the Law of Positivism podcast. I'm your host, Shireen, and I'm the creator of Law of Positivism. I'm here to help you on your spiritual and healing journey. I am a certified yoga and meditation teacher, a student of Chinese medicine, a doula, a Reiki practitioner, and a passionate, highly sensitive person. I want to use my knowledge to channel information and messages for you to grow on all levels. Hi, and welcome to the Love Positivism podcast. I'm so happy that you're here. This is the eighth episode, and I'm just amazed by the guests that have been here and sharing their wisdom and light, and I really hope that it resonates with you and that it can help you on your journey and I received so much positive and loving feedback I'm so grateful that this work that I'm doing is beneficial for for people out there and I wanted to read one of the reviews that I've received because it's so amazing I'm so happy that people are taking the time and energy to leave me reviews and ratings which also creates more energy around the podcast and helps other people find it as well. So I had one review that is so amazing and beautiful and it says these podcasts are truly special. I have found so much light, electric energy, wisdom, affirmation, love, empowerment, continuous support and so much more. Through listening to these episodes, I have also experienced things beyond words. So grateful for this review. Thank you so much. And if you do leave a review on iTunes, you can take a screenshot and send it to me. And I will draw an oracle card for you. And I'm so excited about this week's guest. Uh, His name is Patrick Hamilton Walsh. And he is... An old friend of mine and an author, a life coach and an adventurer who has been to 130 countries in the world. And he has 20 years of experience with meditation and yoga. And he's really connected to the earth and the different places on the earth which vibrate energy and, and really high frequencies. So this week's episode is actually about... Uh, the divine feminine and the empowerment of the feminine because Patrick has written a book uh, called Forgive Me Sister which taps into this and is a book that is inspired by his journeys and the people that he has met on his journeys. So we talk about the divine feminine and his spiritual journey and also other things like the power of sound and soulmates and kindness and yeah we talk about so much fun and interesting and deep things so i'm really grateful for this episode and i hope you enjoy it too hi patrick hi beautiful shireen hi welcome to the podcast it's an honor to be here thank you so much for inviting me I'm really excited to have you here and to talk to you. And I just want to start before we have the conversation to ask you how you stay mindful and present. How I stay mindful and present is actually through many things, if I'm honest. Um, I was mm-hmm. going to say it's through habits. Um, I have a very strong base of um, routines and habits, which I kick off each morning which sort of set my, set my, um, my path for the day. And, I'll, and I'll, go, I'll show you a little bit about, about those in a moment. But mm-hmm. at the same time, throughout the day, I'm very much about synchronicities and numerology and patterns. And I sort of also am in the flow with the nature, actually. So I'm very much guided in one way, but at the same time, I have very strong habits, which which um, set me up each morning. Hmm. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing. Um, I think it would be interesting. We've known each other for a while, for a couple of years. And 
uh, I would love for you to uh, tell the listeners who you are and what you do right now. Yes. So for those who don't know, I met, I, Shireen was one of the first people I met when I moved to Sweden, nearly coming up to mm-hmm. five years ago. And from that first moment that we met at the coffee and tea machine, mm-hmm. I could see that you were such a special, enlightened soul with so much positive sort of desire to, to know more, have more, be more radiating from you. And, and I had just come back from backpacking, as you know. Um, so we connected straight away and we had a really good first chat, which I will never forget. And our friendship has sort of just blossomed from that. Um, and, and, to, and to give readers a, a sort of an overview of who I am, my name is Patrick Hamilton Walsh. And I come from Northern Ireland. And I grew up in a town which is the unemployment black spot of Europe. <clears throat> but to give you a more spiritual side of the story, when I was 16, I was giving this awakening where um, I was sort of guided towards the belief that there was more available for me. I didn't have to settle for the scarcity which existed in my in my area. And I was sort of presented with these two questions which I had to answer. And the question was, if, if I could have or do any three things in the world, what would they be? And, and for me, as a 16-year-old boy, it was, very, it was very easy to answer a question because your mind is so open and you're, 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 so, you're so available for all potential at that age. So for me, the three things I wanted as a 16-year-old boy, number one was to have season tickets at Old Trafford watching Manchester United. Number two was to have a Porsche before I was 30. And number three was to travel the world. Um, and you might think that's sort of a, a bit of a strange thing, but if you look at it, Following Manchester United is is a passion project. It it brings a lot of energy to a, to a boy. It gives him something to focus on, positive. To own a Porsche is a very material thing, but at the same time, it was something which made me get off the sofa, get off the bed, and actually want to climb and learn and develop and grow myself to to even attain something which was so material. And the third thing was to travel the world, and that. To travel is to educate. So I've graduated um, three times and I've been conferred four times, which means, so, so you graduate from something and you get conferred into something. So I'm a member of four professions and I've got three degrees is probably the best way. But my true education all came from traveling to nearly 140 countries around the world across seven continents. And, and when I look back at the answer that that 16-year-old version of me give, at the time, it seemed quite aspirational, but when I look back now, it was all to do with growth and education. Um, and, and so to follow up with that, the second question that I, that I had to answer at, at that time was, you know, for me to achieve these three things, what, how was I going to do it? And my biggest problem wasn't the fact that I grew up in this unemployment black spot of Europe where everyone had this victim mentality. My problem was I wasn't good at anything. You know, no one ever picked me out of a crowd and says, this guy's going to go far or he's going to shine bright in life. So it was up to me to actually dig down inside and say, like, what, what can I do? Like, how can I achieve these things? So when I looked really deep at it, the only thing I was okay at at school was mathematics. And mathematics was as I have learned now, is one of the two languages that I'm, that I'm actually fluent in. At the time, I just thought it was something that I was okay at at school. Um, so I thought the best thing I can do with mathematics is become a chartered accountant because at that stage, I thought everyone, everyone who deals with money must be rich, so that'll help me buy a Porsche and that'll help me travel the world. So what I did is I set three goals. First goal was I wanted to come top of the class by the time I was, 16, by the time I was 18, which gave me two years. I wanted to become the first person from my area to go to university because where I'm from, Catholics were allowed to, to vote or go to university up until, you know, like 20 years before that. But that's a story for a different day. But, um, but this was the 90s. We could, we could vote, we could go to university and all, but, I, and, but the problem is no one from my area wanted to do that. So um, someone had to be the first, so I decided I would be the first. And then I was going to try and move to Dublin or Belfast and become a chartered accountant. 
And, and, and with that, what I did is I just started, I moved from the back of the class to the front, to, not to the front, because you don't want to be that guy, but I moved towards the front. And I just, I realized that the person who stands at the front of the class every day is paid to help me pass my exams. So I, I literally just started doing my homework and listening to the teacher. And if I go forward 10 years, by the time I was 26, I had come top of the class and won awards throughout the UK. I had um, went to university and had two degrees and I had just qualified as a chartered accountant with Grant Thornton. And on every Friday night, um, I, I, had, I would leave work and I would get the bus to the airport and fly to Manchester where I had my two season tickets, go over there for the weekend, watch the football and have a laugh. When I was 27, I was now working at PricewaterhouseCoopers to become a tax lawyer and, and a qualified financial advisor. Um, and I would leave work on Friday night, jump into my Porsche, drive to the airport and, and uh, go to Manchester and have a, have a great weekend with the lads watching the football. But when I was 28 in May 2007, what I did is it, my third goal, which was the goal that set me free, is that I sold everything I had. I had two cars. One of them was a Porsche, of course. Um, I got rid of all the sort of fancy clothes and stuff and all my wardrobe and really stripped my life down, simplified it into one bag. And I set out to travel the world and, and to receive my, my real education. And it's where, and for seven years, I traveled the entire world, Shireen. Um, I, I went, I was the first person to swim off the coast of all seven continents, including Antarctica. I broke Guinness World Records. I had dinner with presidents. And, um, but, but more than anything, I went to villages and towns and fields and monuments around the world, which gave me great awakenings and great insights. And um, things like being in the Ganges in India, at four o'clock in the morning with your feet as, as people sort of, you know, sort of this bury, I would say is the best word I could use, their, their dead relatives and, and, put, and sort of let them go into the Ganges as part of the ceremony mm. and being, being a part of sort of such powerful rituals really does um, open up your spiritual sort of insights. Mm. That's amazing. That's a very a big journey that you did into different stages of your life. And it's really interesting how you uh, shifted into something so meaningful, like even more meaningful, probably to see the world and to uh, like work more with your spirituality. And that's how we also connected. I think uh, we have also been both of us on a deep spiritual journey and also moving into understanding the balancing that is needed in the world between the divine feminine and masculine and the awakening and the reawakening of the divine feminine. And I would love to talk to you about your connection to the divine feminine. How was the journey into that? Yes, I'm, I'm one of those boys that's very lucky in that I've always had a really good balance between the masculine and the feminine. And I remember even when I was a young boy, I used to say that I was half boy, half. And um, it felt natural for me to be that. It was sort of a crude way to put it, but it felt natural to me that I, I was, at one at one level, I was holistic and compassionate and caring and loving and um, touchy-feely with all sorts of people. But at the same time, I also was a boy who was, you know, aggressive and, you know, competitive and, wanted to strive forward and compete and all that. And I, I think one of the reasons that I've been successful in life and as a human being is that I've been able to balance both of those and use them in a way where um, it's been conducive to getting the best out of myself and the people around me. And, and we live in a very masculine world in general, but I think when both me and you live in Stockholm, we live in a very masculine society. I think Sweden is one of the more masculine societies. It's very militaristic in mind and very um, very cold in heart, actually, for a lot of the, for, for as a society, but not, I'm just talking about as a generalization. So for, for, for one reason or another, both myself and you and a lot of other very 
sort of connected people have been placed in this society. And what I do when I'm here is I just be. I just be and I tell people I love them. I say, yo, girls, good day. I, you know, I hug them. And, and whenever I walk into Epicenter in the morning, people walk up to me and they give me a hug. And, mm. and I know that that might be the only hug they get that day or that week or whatever. And I'm very much in my feminine self on a day-to-day basis whenever I'm in Stockholm because there's already so much masculinity in the city already. And, and as a result of that, as me and you know, I've, I've just published a new book during the summer called mm-hmm. Forgive Me, Sister. And that book was in, had, had one goal, actually, as I downloaded it, was to empower the divine feminine within, within our world. Um, our world is creaking and hurting and broken and being depleted and ravished as we go. And it took me three weeks to write this book, if I'm honest. And I just downloaded the whole book and channeled the whole thing in, in July of th- summer, three summers ago. And it was such a beautiful process. It was such an easy process. And, and it's why that when you, when you look inside my book, Forgive Me Sister, it actually says Patrick Hamilton Walsh, co-creator. Because I was just the channel for, for typing the book out and making it come, come to fruition. The information came from actually the women of this world as, as I traveled around the world, but it also came directly from the unseen as I was just given the story, which I could pour through myself. And at the mm-hmm. same time, I could see that many of the small discussions and interactions and meetings I had with people around the world, such as yourself, were all there sort of planting little seeds of information and thoughts and steering me in directions which, which would lead to, to um, me having stories which I could contribute to that book. And I have to be honest, the feedback around the world has been phenomenal. You know, I've had fans of the book already, you know, reaching out with their next storylines of where the characters are going to go next and what happens to Emma and this is where she should go. And, you know, and when you get to that sort of level where people are already looking, they've bought in so deep, they're already sort of, you know, the design in the next stage of it. <laughs> it's, mm. it's probably the greatest honor there is. And, and I have started writing the second book. I started writing it last month, actually. Um, it's, it's the book that's out is the first of three books, which, which I was given all at the one time whenever I, was in, whenever I was in Holland two and a half years ago. And I will try and have the second book out within the next two years, hopefully. Mm. That's lovely. And you, yeah, the book was channeled so you tapped into uh something more divine that when when we open up to that we do actually channel the things that we write the things that we say it it comes from a higher consciousness that is awakening within us and um i'm wondering how how did this channel open for you? And besides the, the things that you have, you, because you've, uh, you've been to different places in the world that have huge uh, energies. And I've lived in Ireland and, and that's a very awakening energy, sometimes very deep and, and harsh energy as well. But maybe you can tell us about the sources and how how you've started channeling yeah so i'm very much someone who's connected to energy and i'm a reiki master for example i've been one for Mm. probably eight or nine or ten years maybe Mm. um and i use it a part of my life every day so to do that what i will do is every solstice or every equinox i will actually spend that that date at a at a location which is one of the chakra points of the earth or whatever. So I think 21st, 22nd of December last year, I was in the temples of Karnak in mm. Egypt. Um, before that, I was in Glastonbury, which I know you've visited as well. Mm. I've been to, you know, you name a chakra points. I've probably already been to it. Um, so I actually almost like putting your phone on a charger 
to sort of get it energized to the max i sort of put myself on a charger by going to these locations and really feeling the depth of it so last week saudi arabia opened so last month saudi arabia opened up their possibility for people to apply for an e-visa so of course me being the backpacker that i am i was probably the first person to apply and i I spent last week down there at a location called the edge of the world which is deep in the desert um no roads nothing um and it was just a very again a very spiritual and energizing experience for me to go out into this desert where the bedouins live and you know you see these fires at night and things and i believe that by taking myself out of routine on a regular basis that the energy that I expand in getting to the edge of the world in the Saudi Arabian desert is actually multiplied and replenished multiple times by me being there and charging myself up. And that allows me then the ability to be more in tune to who I am, be more in tune to the people who are around me and to have a deeper sort of bond with, with various people who I have met in past lives who crossed my life again. You know, I, I don't meet those people every day, but when I do meet them, it's such a powerful experience. And when I meet those people, I think everything else is worth it because I re-remember them. Mm. And at the very front of my new book, Forgive Me, Sister, I write a poem, and it's a poem designed, I want to say for women, because of, there was women in mind when I was thinking of, when I was writing the poem and when I was given the poem, but it's definitely for the feminine and everyone. And it's a, it's a poem about the re-remembering of who you are, why you're on this planet, and why you choose to come back again at such a difficult time as a soul. You know, think back, what, what, what was your agreement before you arrived here? What was your goals? Why did you set out to achieve these goals? And what skills did you bring with you? You know, what, what, was you, what did your Akashic record say? What was your soul contract in coming to planet Earth again at a time when it's very, very, very difficult for empaths to be here? You know, a lot of empaths and people with with um, special abilities, I should say, is are really finding they're really finding it tough to be on this planet now, and the work that they must do is hard, and the, the path they are on is is um, frowned upon in a, in a society which is becoming more mechanical and machine minded. Um, and as a result, we have a lot of these beautiful people committing suicide and, you know, trying to return back home. And my plea to the people who are listening, who feel what I'm saying right now is it's okay. You're on your path, but try to re-remember who you are. Try to go into the silence. And the best way to do that is to strip out all the things which are stopping you from connecting to yourself. You don't need the alcohol. You don't need the sugar. You don't need the, the drugs and the gambling and the sex and all these other things which are, which are so much taking you off your path and, and, and away from who you are. If you can pull yourself back in to balance more, you will then start to be more in synchronicity. You'll start to then see more of the patterns, which I mentioned earlier. You will then start to come really back into your heart and, and see this is who I am, this is why I'm here, and this is what I have signed up to do. And, and everything then will start to open for you a lot more easier. Mm. You know, when, when we look at it from an Akashic level. Yeah, that's... That is really uh, heart-opening, everything that you just said. And... Um, <clears throat> It's a powerful transmission that you're sharing, and it's so true. And that's the part of the work that we're doing. And I think it's really beautiful to see uh, all genders just uh, co-creating and and doing what just what you said, like re-remembering. And uh, the things I write about on Instagram is about this and to also create um, a space where um, you can recognize 
yourself in others and together remember what we're here to do. And it is a very dense time, but we can't drown in that feeling. We have to uh, rise above it and uh, find new ways. I think the remembering is so healing because then everything seems so much easier and so much things make more sense because sometimes it can I think many of us feel like things that don't make sense and the way that things are are not the way it should be and um, I think it's really one of the things that 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 has been really emerging is the remembering of uh, the way that we have devoted ourselves uh, as a humankind before to the earth. Uh, We have uh, also had much more uh, humbleness and respect towards um, uh, the female uh, gender or uh, womb bearers, but also understood that the, the, the divine is equally masculine and feminine and not none of them as well so it's like emerging and i i don't i think there's such a deep conversation that can be uh held just around that and uh yeah just seeing what has happened especially the past 2000 years and what we're growing into but this is the time of like deep like just the past decade what has happened has been a huge transformation now things are just coming up to the surface more and more and we can see like there's so many beautiful circles we are learning about the mystics of uh the divine feminine and the female body and cycles and all of that and there's also a need to merge like people like you and me to merge and to meet brothers and sisters so um i think that's also the part of the healing because the divine feminine is within both men and women so there's it's not something that only uh, women have and i would like to ask you what is the divine feminine to you i think I think if you just look at what you've just said there, you're spot on. This is what the divine feminine is. It's it's the fact that we now must realize that the feminine is not is not a gender. It's 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 a it's an essence which which encompasses our very being. So why was why was a man from Northern Ireland given the task of channeling a book about the empowerment of femininity? Because my goal with this book, or not my goal, the, the, the goal of the greater good is to show men and women alike that everyone is masculine, everyone is feminine. And we have lived in this machine-minded world for long enough where we have extracted and taken from our earth without, without consequence, as we believed. But now what we're trying to see is there is consequence for that. We must replenish, we must give back, we must be more holistic, compassionate and caring. The feminine is very much about looking at the longer term. The best example I can give you of this is the masculine energy is very about short-termism. It's all about competition, um, winning at the expense of someone losing. And, and it's, a, it's, it's about the, the domineering. So an example would be, if you look at what we're doing in the, in the Amazon rainforest, we're cutting down the lungs of our planet, which is the trees, so that we can flatten out the ground, so we can plant grass, so that we can graze cattle, so that we can have more meat for fast food mm-hmm. chains. And the thing about the Amazon is only two, only the top two or three centimeters of the, of the soil actually contains nutrients. Because the, in the Amazon, it's very, it's very unique in that most of the nutrients are held in the canopy above the ground. Mm-hmm. So whenever you cut down these trees, basically you can only use them for one or two seasons before you then have to go and cut down the next 100,000 square kilometers for the next batch of cows to be grazed. But the, what the, the feminine approach to that 
is actually, do you know what? Let's be more long-term, more creative, more holistic, more compassionate. And let's not cut down those trees. Let's see what we can do to replenish. Because the same guys, I'm not criticizing people for doing their job. These, these are tribal people or these are their poor people living in these societies. And they're doing what they're paid to do because we demand it as our, at the wider society, which is us. Mm-hmm. Whenever, our, whenever we get to, and let me just say this, you don't need 51% of people to decide. You just need 11%. Once 11% changes, everything tips over. Because the energy then is so strong from those 11. So once 11% of our society decides that actually we, we want the Amazon to remain, we, want, we don't need the burgers as much as we thought we did, what happens is the same people who were responsible for cutting down the trees can, can keep their jobs because they know, they know that terrain inside out. They know the forest inside out. We can then start to support these people and, and provide them with jobs and from a different perspective, which is to replenish the streams and water, waterways to replenish and replant the trees which were there. And within a generation, we can have the rainforest back again as it was. And that's a feminine, practical way of fixing the problems that we have in our world. And just by doing that alone, people start to see, actually, we need, we need to change it. So the feminine for me is very much that. Mm-hmm. And, and as you were saying about the, about the womb bearers, I actually, I actually talk about this in my new book as well. And, and, and it's actually, this part is, is very much, um, it's, uh, it's the, it's the, the book is a novel, obviously. And in the book, it, it talks about women as being superheroes and they should be treated as such because the, the feminine, the female body has been given the right and the honor to bring life and to bring souls through, through from the unseen into the scene. The female is the one who carries that life and nurtures it and brings it. But there's another part of this which isn't talked about. And I can talk a little bit about this, if you like, from an Akashic Mm. perspective, which is the female is given the ability to hear the soul and to communicate with the soul prior to the the soul coming into the body, Mm. but also through the nine months whenever the soul is is growing within, within the womb. And, and I'm going to go a little bit deeper on this just so people can understand what I'm saying. When I say soul, we're going to call, I'm going to call it a baby. The baby chooses the parents. It chooses, these are the couple, this is the, karma, this is the karma, this is the soul contract that I want for this time on earth. In the unseen, the souls that are the parents, usually during sleeping hours, will go and they'll create a contract with the soul that we, we, we agree to be your parents through this lifetime. And we will provide you with these challenges, these upsets, these tough times, these good times, these bad times and whatever else. Okay. And then something very special happens. Whenever, whenever, that, whenever, um, whenever the, the, the baby is created in a, in a physical way and, and, enter, and then so the soul enter, enters that body, that child will do one of the most important things that it, that it will ever do. And, and it's something which will change the path, the life path of the human being that will, that will come to this earth. And the mother's role is to be very specific in, in accepting this task. And that is, whenever you arrive here, you come with your name. And that child will, con- continue, when it's in the womb, will continually be, be um, communicating with the mother and telling the mother, my name is, my name is, my name is. So I know that my name is true to me. My name is Patrick. I know that my mother heard my name and took it on because whenever an Irish person is called Patrick, usually their name is, they're usually reduced to Paddy or Patsy or Pat or some variation of it. But from, from the moment I was a child, and it's actually got me in a bit of trouble in my life, actually. My mother always ensured I was given my name, Patrick, because the sound of your name is very important. Sound is the most important thing that actually probably exists. It's more, and I'll, and I'll explain this in a minute. Mm. My, to call me Paddy is a different sound, or Patsy is a different sound, which means it's a different name, which means it carries a different frequency. My name is Patrick, mm. and I have maintained the name Patrick throughout my life and when someone calls me patsy or patty or whatever i don't answer because it's a different frequency which means it's a different energy which means it's not me Mm. okay 
So we give this to your mother as we come into this world, and she takes it. If you're not given your right name, if, if my mother had heard me saying Pat, Patrick, 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 and then some, my father was down the pub and he heard that uh, Michael was a great name, then I would be, energetically, I would go off my path and I would lose who I was. And I had a, con- I had a conversation about this in Epicenter last week about a guy who's changed. His, his, he was given, and I think he was given the name Johan, mm. but he always knew he was Walter. So five or six years ago, he changed his name back to Walter. And now he's grown these massive businesses and had this massive success. And he's found love and he's done all these great things. Because now energetically, he's back on his path. And now let me explain this in case some of you think I'm completely mad. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. So God said, let there be light. Which means that sound came before light came. So sound transforms and light informs and let me explain this to you if if you've ever been to a great music event or and if something where um whenever that beat drops or whenever that best song comes on or you hear those first chords of that guitar and your favorite song it transforms you sound transforms you and takes you to a different place in a way that nothing else can light informs you we read through your eyes we get a lot of information by looking but nothing, no light can transform us as much as, as sound can. So sound is very important. Mm. We all know uh, the, the phrase abracadabra. It, it comes from, it comes from the, the aromatic language, which is actually the language that Jesus spoke. Mm. And basically it says, is what, basically the rough translation of abracadabra means is uh, what I say I will create, which means we create what we speak. Okay, mm. what does witches cast whenever they speak? They cast spells. What do we do with mm. words? We spell words. We cast our spells and we spell words. So it's all spells. So what we say is so important to who we are and our path and where we will go forward in life. And this brings me back to sound. What is your name? What name do you own? What name is, is, is true to you? Okay, it's part of our contract. It's part of who we are. And who you are in this life and who you are in the last life is, will have a similar vowel. It'll have a, sorry, it'll have, <clears throat> excuse me, it, you'll have one part of your name in this life. So my name is Patrick in this life. And in my, in my last life, my name could have been, for example, Richard, which would also have Rick, Patrick, Rick, Richard, for example. You will always have, a, have something which carries forward, carries forward, carries forward. <clears throat> excuse me. And so if you want me then to also talk about, if you're happy enough with what I've just told you about sound and the the, the, the importance of sound. Yeah, it's amazing. I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. And and at at the same time, the other thing I want to talk about, which I see a lot on on social media and and areas around that, because I know there's going to be a big, a, a big female listener base on this. And I want to talk about, what a soulmate is because we see a lot of stuff now on social media. We see a lot of people talking about soulmates and I just want to be honest and and true with you because this is, this is the information I was given in relation to soulmates. There's so much misinformation in books and by talkers concerning this concept you know, we, we all so deeply down want to believe that our spouse or the person we're in love with or our current boyfriend or girlfriend is our soulmate. The reality is that is so highly, so highly, highly improbable. We only have one soulmate throughout all of eternity. Mm. And I, I won't go into the science sort of it, but it all comes down to when, a, when an, an atom is divided into masculine and feminine. We split in half as a, as a spirit and we go off. So there's a certain loneliness that exists in us when our Adam, our first energy is split in half, which is if we talk about the first man, what was his name? His name is Adam, well, Atom, you know. Mm-hmm. And as a result, we're always sort of feeling as if we're searching for that other half of ourselves. Is this person my soulmate? Is that person my soulmate? This, this new boyfriend's my soulmate or whatever. Um, and we can often end up marrying people who have a lot of the same characteristics as our soulmates. But the, the, the truth is, there's, 
only on this planet, from an Akashic level, there's only 2,000 couples, plus or minus 10%, who are allowed to be on this earth at any one time that are soulmates. Mm. So 2,000 couples on this planet are with their soulmate. And it's generally not this sort of Hollywood love affair it is. It's, it's a time whenever souls are sort of brought back together and they're, they're working together on a, on, a, on a soul contract as a unified pair, you know, for, for, the, for, the, for the greater good of all people. And whenever you have soulmates together, they usually don't clear out much of their camera that they come in with because a lot of that will remain unfinished because they're here to create certain contracts and see certain things through. And they're so just so sort of content in being together. Usually a lot of them, a lot of couples who are, who are, in, who are genuine soulmates who are here together to, to fulfill contracts, they won't get much done in business or in, they probably won't have a family or things like that because they're so much wrapped up in this reuniting of, of themselves coming back in together. And mm. I'd, I'm not here to, criticize anyone who thinks they're with their soulmate you probably are and, and if you are god bless and and you've you've basically enjoyed this lifetime for what for all it is because it could be so many more lifetimes before you're reunited again but for those two thousand odd couples out there i wish she's I'm, I'm, I'm delighted for you but for the rest of us um i would say you don't have to be with your soulmate to be happy you can actually be with other souls um, who are who are not the other half of you, who can come together and who who you can have great, fantastic lives with, and you can give and take and contribute to and receive from and teach and be a student of. There's so much to be gained from that as well, and that's part of your soul contract coming here. Um, I I see this other term going around on social media and things about the twin flame, and I I can only say I have no idea what that is. I don't. It sounds fantastic and spiritual and magical and very romantic i have just never received any information in relation to that so i actually truly don't know what a twin flame twin flame is um but if you if, if you know what it is and you're, you're you're you think you have found your twin flame then again you're, you're blessed whatever that is and, and i send my love to you again yeah it's interesting i was thinking about the twin flames i think we will talk about it in another episode as well and I think it stems back to the times of Atlantis um, but it's yeah you, you covered so much and it's so interesting all of it and um, actually it would also be interesting to like when you channel this book um, what the purpose of the book and how so it is a novel, right? Yes, it is. Yes. Yeah. Um, what? What? Why do you think that this book had to be channeled? Um, I think that the, I was just a lucky. <clears throat> I was just a guy, and I was a soul in a body who was lucky enough to be chosen for this book. Um, this is my fourth book and it's my first novel. The other books were about how people could live the life of their dreams. But this mm -hmm. book was was very much in the zeitgeist. The, the timing was right. There was, there was this, from, from 2012, there was, we had sort of come into this um, at late, the age of, of Aquarius and there was a more feminine energy resonating throughout the planet. And I think the reason that this book was channeled through a man was to make the book more um, available to both men and women who live on this planet. Because I think if it had been given to to a female, it would have been more a more a book which would have stayed more within female hands. And and from what I can see, I don't know if it's fifty fifty, but it maybe at least forty percent of the books which I know have been bought have been bought by men. Which, considering the message of the empowerment of the feminine, is is quite is quite something. So, and and a lot, like even a lot of the reviews, I've got mostly five star reviews across all the websites around the world, and a lot of them are saying that they need to get their boyfriends or their husbands or whatever to read this book as well. And and I don't want to be leaving people under any sort of misconceptions, 
this book is quite rough, especially the introductory chapter, which which is an analogy an analogy for what we're doing to our planet. They're sort of raping and pillaging and destruction of our planets and sort of the, the, the discarding of it when it's dead as as just let's just go and get another one. So the book starts out quite rough and there's a lot of really deep and sort of sad and happy, but also happy and the message is ultimately happy and uplifting and you know hopeful but there's the book is very realistic you know there 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 is a rape within the book there is a um there's a suicide attempt within the book there's broken heart but also at the same time there's a reconnection with lost love there's an ayahuasca retreat there's a reconnection with the inner child and the sort of spiritual element of that that reconnecting with your true essence which sort of exists within you within the inner child and and, and it's ultimately it's a story about a boy who's trying to um be himself in a in a, in a world which is mostly mind based and he's a he's a guy who's very much heart based and listens to his hearts and 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 um and goes through the world with that so it's 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 a book that had to be channeled at this time because as you know, Shireen, everything is always perfect. And, and this book has been given to the world at a time when people need to see that the feminine is not the enemy of, of this world. The feminine is, a, is very much a part of this world. It's, it's, it's the world that we need to lean on. And within the book, there's an analogy. And it actually, it actually came from my own experience, this analogy. I, I, before I moved to Sweden, I was supposed to move to China. And I suppose I spent a year learning Mandarin and about business, doing business in China. And there's this one analogy which works very well within Mandarin. And it says that for you to get a tree, if a tree is bent out of shape and you want to get that tree to stand up straight, you don't pull it up into the standing position. What you do is you bend it beyond to the other position so that when you let go, it then springs back into an upright position. And I hope I'm getting this across properly. Mm. So what I look at, how I see society is the same. We've had a very masculine society for so long, which means it's been bent out of shape. I believe that for to get things into balance, we need to bend it, not, not to 50-50. I think we need to bend it right across now the other way to a more predominantly feminine world for a while. So that when we let go again, it springs back into shape like the tree. You know, uh, why have 50-50 board members, male and female? Why not just have 90-10? Why not have 100% for a while and see how that goes? Because we had 100% of men for a long time in boards and things. Mm. You know, let's see, let's bend the tree to the other side. And then when we let go, we'll probably end up with 50-50. And one of the really sharp visions I was given whenever I was sort of channeling this book as I was sitting at at the kitchen table every morning was... In the future, a boardroom table should look like a, a, a kitchen table of a family, of a casual family get-together where there's a lot of women and men sitting around and there's children you know, running about and there's some women are breastfeeding and some women are sort of changing a nappy on, on their knee as they're doing something and there's other toddlers with toys on the floor and there's the interruptions and the life and the joy and the energy and the... Uh, sort of giggling and realness that comes from having multi-generations of people sitting around the table and making decisions because it's quite easy to make a decision that's, that's conducive to you at your level whenever everyone around the table looks like you and the same age and of the same sort of ilk as yourself. But whenever you're making decisions which will impact multi-generations and those generations are actually under your feet and climbing around your chair and, you know, you have people, you have old gray-haired women at one side of the table and young boys and teenagers and all spread spread across. And they're just there being. They're not there to make decisions. They're just being because that's how families are and that's how decisions are made in families. So if we, if we started treating these corporations like they were families and having boardrooms that looked more like the kitchen table on a, on a, on a Saturday afternoon, I think we would have a more holistic approach to our decision-making and we wouldn't do things that were only for profit. We would actually do things which were more for um, the greater good of, of, of all people and it, the stakeholders as opposed to just the shareholders. 
Mm. Yeah, definitely. And and putting we've we've started to build like the world has been built now uh with not the family and the human beings in focus. It's been focused on uh it's focused on how the ego can get more. Yes. And which which the the human being does not take with it when it leaves this life at all. Um so it's that's what I meant with how strange sometimes I can like sometimes I can feel like an alien just watching and just thinking how strange that it turned out like this. But yeah, it's it's a it's a part of the journey and as you said, everything is how it should be so that we can like it, it, it is in this darkness that we can find also light. So um, we, I think definitely that the shift has to be uh, like this joining now of, of uh, just awakening, uh, not just history, but her story and the, and the divine feminine is a part of, the change and the transformation. And I think it's so uh, awesome that you are passionate about that and that we definitely need more uh, guys like you that that are also enlightening uh, men and females. So it's not just one side that are working with it. And maybe you can also give a tips to um, how men could work more with their inner divine feminine. Yeah. So again, um, one of the things that I try to do with men is I, tr- I try to see them. Mm. We live in a world where people are not seen anymore. You know, we, we, we sort of just see the, we see their clothes or we see their title or we see their followers or we see whatever, but we don't, we need to see the human being. We need to see the spirit that exists in the person. So what I try to do with men is I try to just see them and I see their strength. I see their sadness. I I see their pain and I, and I treat them. Basically I try to treat people with, with love, actually, I will say the word love. I was going to say compassion, but I actually try to treat them with love because everyone has got, everyone carries pain. But I don't, I don't need to dwell on their pain. I can also dwell on, I can also think about the positive things and the good things and the good days that they have when they're around me. So I want to just see people with love. And what I find is whenever I show people love, it, they reciprocate. So from, and what happens then is, by me showing love and by me not being afraid to sort of be true to who I am, it then gives them permission to be true to who they are. And then men can actually show that they are quite loving, quite compassionate, quite, you know, open, quite feminine in various ways because they're not intimidated by what I am because they know that the truth is the truth is the truth. And what I'm showing them in our interaction, whether it's at the tea machine or whether it's at a football match, is that this is the person I am. And therefore, now I'm show- you now have permission to show me the person you are. And what I feel is then guys are actually, guys are, one thing that is a fact is that every man is the son of a beautiful woman. Mm. And within that beautiful woman, she, she put love, compassion, kindness, and all the feminine traits that she has into that boy. So let's never, never think for a second that those guys don't, don't have it in them. Go to the worst jail in your country and get the hardest, baddest person that you can find in that jail and then bring him in front of his two or three-year-old daughter and see how soft and compassionate and loving he is to her. So even the worst people in the worst jail are soft and compassionate whenever they're around people who allows them to show that side of themselves. So things like toxic masculinity and all, I think, can can sort of push men further away and it labels men as being a certain way. What I like to do is just show them, it's okay, man. It's okay. Have your masculinity because it's in you. It's also in the women. But also, don't be, don't be leaning too much to that side. You know, bring, bring, out, your, bring out your beautiful feminine side as well. Bring, show us your compassion and love. So I, I just say to lads, lads, be true to who you are. And the best way to be true to who you are is, is try to see people for who they are. 
and without judgment, without labeling, without anything, just see them and just be with that and, and understand that as we go through this life, there's certain people who are destined to cross our paths. And you have to realize people come into your life for a reason, for a season, or for a lifetime. It's for a reason, a season, or a lifetime. And see the, see the person who comes in for, for a reason. What is the reason that they're here? They're here to teach me a lesson. The reason is that they had to, I had to have a bad day today, and this is the person who's bringing me this lesson. And basically what I needed to do was I needed to overcome it in a, in a compassionate or kind way or see what was happening. Whatever it is, whatever the reason is, see it for what it is. Other people come into your life for a season. What does that mean? How long does that season last? You know, is it, is it the people you went to school with who you were with for seven years? And that was your season. And once you left school, you said, you said extracted and left enough for each other that your, your seven years is over. Now you don't, you'll not probably see that person again. Or you might see them again when you're in your 50s. Or was it someone you worked with for three weeks on a project? But see the season and don't, don't be attached. Don't be attached when that person leaves or whenever your time to move on comes. See it for the, for the season that it was. And, then you, and, and that, what I've just told you, covers 99.9% .9 of the people who you will ever meet. There's very, very, very few people who come into your life for a lifetime, but they do exist. You know, mm -hmm. your brothers and sisters might be those people, or you might have a friend. Like, I have one friend who was, uh, he's four months older than me. He'll be there until the end. He's, he's a lifetime guy, my best friend, Terry. You know, as, as often as I see him, it's not that much anymore. I live in Sweden. He lives in Northern Ireland still. But I still have to have the, the, the big eye view, the bird's eye view of looking at these relationships and going, reason, season, lifetime, and allow the people to come and go. And I say this to men, you know, lads, see the people and see them coming, see them going, but try to be as kind as, as you can be. And it's, uh, and I'll just quickly talk about the word kindness. Mm. Kindness is everything. You know, if you're out there and you're single and you're looking for love, don't even look for love, look for kindness. The, the three most important characteristics in any relationship that you should be looking for in a person, number one, kindness. Number two, kindness. Number three, kindness. Kindness is the seed which allows all other beautiful things to, to sort of blossom and grow and germinate. And if you can find someone who's kind to you and who has, you know, the time to, to show you kindness, then cherish that person so much. If you come across people who are not kind to you and, you know, they're giving you a tough time in work or in a relationship or as a friend or whatever, you know, see it, see it for what it is. Is it, a, is it a reason, a season or a lifetime? And, and don't be afraid to detach yourself from those people because there's a lot of depression and there's a lot of anxiety in this world. And if you're depressed, there's a good chance that you're surrounded by assholes. You know, maybe, maybe you're surrounded by people who are just not being kind to you or not seeing you for who you are. And the thing is, it's also on you because you're, you're falling, you're, you're fitting into a box that these people give you. You know, don't, don't be afraid to bring a season to an end. You know, you, you, you're not a tree, you can move on. And at the same time, during the summer, for the first time, uh, I, um, I experienced anxiety. I don't, I'm not an anxious person, but I was able to feel it in someone else who, who's very close to me. And anxiety is horrible. And it's, anxiety is when you're worried about, so depression is whenever you're, you're living in the past and you're worried about the past, something's happened and you're, you're depressed about it. You're pro, as I said, you're probably surrounded by people who are not so nice to you. Anxiety is when you're worried about the future and you're, you're, not, you're sort of uh, apprehensive about how things are going to work out. My advice is tomorrow's never promised. Don't be thinking that you're still going to be around tomorrow. So don't be worried about it too much. You have bigger problems. And the, big, the real problems that we find in this world are the, are the phone calls that we receive on a wet Tuesday, which comes out of nowhere, which is real bad news, and we weren't expecting it at all. So, so don't, get, don't get too caught up on, on the interview or the, or the meeting with the boy or the girl or what your boss or your friend might say, because tomorrow is not promised anyway, for number one. And number two, it won't be that, part, that important in a, in a year after it's happened anyway. So just see it for what it is, see it as a lesson and be able to sort of go through life. 
And I mean, you, if anybody needs more information on this, Shireen can sort of connect us through us through social media or something. But mm. please, please do connect because I know I'm sort of looking at this as a high level view. But one of my reasons for being on this earth is I have to help people and I have to explain to people and I have to show compassion and kindness. So if you're having a tough time, please reach out um, or, or get one of my books and see what I say in that. And just just allow me to to be there as a, as a, as a brother for you. Because there's so few men that are offering this genuinely. If you need a if you need a masculine insight or you need some life coaching, book a session with me, and I, I'd be honoured to help you. Mm. And how can people find you and your book? You can get my book absolutely everywhere. Um, if you search for Patrick Hamilton Walsh at your local local bookstore, you can order the paperback version. Which the paper, I, I'm a paper guy. I love paper, so I would recommend those. If you if you want to go and download it, you can get it on Amazon, you can get it on Kindle, you can get it through the Apple Bookstore, you can get it through the Google Play Store, you can get it literally everywhere that you can download books. My book will be available in every country. Um, to give you the cheapest place to get it, I believe there's a thing called bookdepository.com and they do free worldwide um, delivery. So I think they usually do the best deals. Um, and obviously, Black Friday is coming up, and we've got – so it's a good time to buy if you want mm -hmm. to. And uh, the, the other books I have are – number one was called Life Is, which is a book about how I got to live the life of my dreams. And it's a full-color sort of coffee table book. Um, and all the money from that book goes to helping the homeless. Um, the same, there's another book called The Backpacker Who Sold a Supercar, which is the black and white version of Life Is, and a lot cheaper. Um, again, all the money from that goes to helping the homeless as well. So um, the other way then is Instagram or Facebook. You know, search for me on Facebook and add me as a friend or, or follow me on my Facebook page, which, is, which I'm quite – and the other one where I'm quite um, active as well is Instagram. If you search for Patrick mm -hmm. Hamilton Walsh, um, I'm trying to always sort of show people how I, how I live and sort of share some inspiration for people that the, the world is actually quite small and everywhere you go, people are awesome. So um, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter as well. Patrick Walsh. Patrick H. Walsh is my Twitter. But, mm. but and I will share the links also in the episode. So it's easy to find you yeah. on Instagram. Please. Sure. But, um, this conversation was amazing. I'm really uh, just inspired and so happy that you took your time to have this conversation with me. Thank you so much. It's an honor, and I just want to just say publicly how proud I am of you, Shireen. Mm -hmm. You know, I really have loved following you and being inspired by your postings and your inspiration and, and also your travels. I really appreciate whenever you go out into the world and bring back fresh imagery and fresh insight and fresh knowledge from places like Glastonbury. And those, and um, I, which I'm going to soon again. Yeah, please. <laughs> this the winter solstice. Yeah, you go to Glastonbury, are you for this year? Yes. Wow. Yes. Um, it's I it's so powerful. Place. It's so powerful. Yeah. Um, and mm -hmm. I I really appreciate when you do that, and I think we all do because it, we I actually can see a big up bump in your sort of your energy when you come mm -hmm. back from those trips. So as as someone who's con continually traveling and. I really appreciate it. And I would say to you, I would say this to all the listeners, remember this one thing, motion creates emotion. Mm. By moving and being on the move, you create new emotions, new energy for yourself because what you give out, you get back in tenfold or a hundredfold or whatever that is. So people wonder where I get the, the energy to travel. I get it from, from traveling. Mm. So move, motion creates emotion. And mm -hmm. and and with that, I'll um, I'll not keep you much longer because I know that an hour is a good time for a for a podcast. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate you and everything that you do. And thank you so much for your love and kindness. It's an honor, and thank you so much for putting out all your content and for and for bringing it on now to this new medium. We really all appreciate it. So thanks, mm -hmm. Amicia. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that this episode really resonates with you and that you can feel the high vibration and the transmissions that you got from this episode from Patrick. And 
it's so amazing that he could share so much wisdom and light with us i'm really grateful for that and i'm grateful for your energy and time and i just hope that this can bring more light to everyone and that we can have more interesting and deep conversations on this podcast i'm so happy and grateful for, for all of you and if you do leave a review on itunes and a rating just take a screenshot and send it to me and we will do a small oracle card reading so let's take a deep breath in through the nose together and exhale through the mouth and take whatever resonates with you and leave the rest thank you so much namaste